Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. As you're sitting down, you can go ahead and uh, find a copy of Scripture. If you, um, uh, when you're coming in, hopefully you found one near you or on your seat. Um, there's uh, some copies uh, of some Scripture journals um, of the Book of Hebrews, and so um, we bought enough. There are enough in this room, and so um, if we could maybe help each other out. If you don't have one of those, if you look around, there might be one in a seat in front of you, or if you kind of need one, maybe uh, kind of make eye contact with somebody nearby because I can see some of them. And if you're if you really need one, um, Micah has some in the back. If you hold up your hand, we can help. I think we just get this accomplished. We'll get all of you. Everyone can have one. Um, what this is, is a gift for you. Um, uh, we've, we do these occasionally when we uh, walk through um, books of the Bible. We didn't do it for Daniel. That was kind of a shorter one, but um, I wasn't planning to do it for this one. And then I met with our small group this week, and uh, my small group was like, hey, where are those books? And we're like, well, we, do, we, you know, we don't do them every time. We're trying to be good stewards. And they're like, well, we really like them. It helps us a lot. And I'm like, okay, tell you what, let me, let me see if we can get them for a decent price, and we'll see if we can get them here. And sure enough, I got it. So you can thank the Jacobson Small Group for uh, for that. That's that's they were like kind of pestering and sort of you know. So anyways, we have them, and so you can go back and take your notes and transfer them. Those of you that um, you know uh, want to do that, you definitely can. And um, but we're we're going to be in Hebrews. Uh, we started last week. We're going to be in Hebrews for the next couple months. It's going to take us uh, most of, if not all, of the summer. Uh, we're just going to kind of walk our way uh, through this book, and I'm so excited about it. I'm um, just kind of catch us up. You know, we started just last week, but um, you know, one of the things that we see is, is that we don't know exactly who the letter is written to, but we can understand some things about them when we see the things that are said to them, right? And so you understand as, as, as things are addressed, then you're like, oh, I, I think this is something that they're kind of walking through. I think this might be who they are. And so um, the author, or sometimes as we're going to refer to him as the preacher, it actually kind of reads almost more like a sermon as you're, as you're going through it. It's not like some of the other letters or epistles that we have. And so we said last week um, that the congregation that's receiving this was uh, tired. They were kind of worn out. They were facing persecution. Uh, Some of them were very discouraged. Some of them were, um, maybe uh, others had stopped meeting. Some of them were tempted to stop meeting together. Um, Some of them were contemplating walking away from the faith or just kind of questioning, like, is this all worth it? Is Jesus really all that he says uh, he is? And the uh, author writes and, and is encouraging them to, uh, to really reconsider and think about who Jesus is. And this is kind of maybe a little counterintuitive. Um, I shared this quote from Tom Long, a commentator, last week. I want to share what kind of comes next because I think um, this uh, kind of continues the thought. Uh, he says this, What is most striking about Hebrews is that the preacher, faced with the pastoral problem of spiritual weariness, is bold enough, maybe even brash enough, to think that Christology and preaching are the answers. The preacher does not appeal to improved group dynamics, conflict management techniques, reorganization of the mission structures, or snappy worship services. Rather, he preaches. Preaches to the congregation in complex theological terms about the nature and meaning of Jesus Christ. And so, church, this is what we're going to do is, 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 you know, as we might find ourselves, and I don't know where you're at today, but some of you kind of resonated with, you know what, I am feeling a little tired, or I am feeling a little discouraged in this way. You know, I, far be it from us as, as a church, if we ever kind of watch attendance, you know, stabilize or even decline, or if we have programs or ministries that don't seem to be maybe, you know, having the same momentum that we'd like to be. I think oftentimes what happens today is like, well, we just need to like kind of rebrand, right? We need a new mission statement. We need just a big kind of, you know, rally cry or something to kind of go around. But, but what I think we need more than all of that 
more than all of that is we have to be reminded just how great Jesus is. And that's what the book of Hebrews does, is it says, hey, I know you're discouraged. I know you're losing hope, but let me give you some hope by putting your eyes where they should be on our great savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're doing as we walk through Hebrews. And so this is going to be just, I'm praying a really encouraging, um, uplifting, building up, um, kind of shoring up the foundation series for us as we walk through uh, this book uh, together. To kind of set the stage for where we're going this morning, um, the title of the sermon is, uh, is this, is Better Than Angels. All right. So we talked last week about how great Jesus is and that we need a bigger picture of Jesus, right? Like your picture of Jesus is probably too small. He's bigger than you think he is. Where we see the first place that it goes is actually that, the, um, that Jesus is even better than the angels. Now, this might kind of come out of left field for us because we're kind of like, man, is that, is that really the most pressing thing? Are we, are we kind of comparing Jesus to angels? And let me just, let's, let's read it and let's kind of see and kind of put it in context and understand why this is the first place. If you have your copy of scripture, uh, Hebrews 1, uh, chapter 1, let's, let's get a running start. Let's read the passage we looked at last week, be reminded of how great Jesus is, and then look at verse 4 together. It says, long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, this is part of the same sentence. It continues on. We're going to look at this together. Verse 4, having become as much superior to angels as the name as he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Right? So we see still part of the same kind of long, bold, um, proclamatory, pro, like proclamation sentence, however you want to say that. Like it is like this, this same thing. He's proclaiming just how great Christ is. And he says, and he's greater than angels. And to that, on our ears, we're like, man, I, you know, I think angels are great, but I haven't really had an issue of kind of comparing him uh, to angels. Now, here's where, if I could like, I'm just kind of, let me just kind of connect some dots and think like, this is maybe where this is coming from. My guess is this, is, is again, probably Jewish believers probably living in or near Rome and facing persecution. The Jewish people upheld and, and were very thankful for, they had an esteem for angels, right? There was this, this respect, this awe, this thankfulness for them um, throughout uh, the, the nation's history, right? They brought messages of prophecy. They brought encouragement. They, they helped uh, God's people uh, kind of in, in various ways. And so there was this esteem for angels. But my guess is, is that there was pressure coming from all sides, right? The Jewish uh, community was probably looking at them and saying, listen, you claim that this Jesus is Messiah, but maybe, maybe he's just like a great angel, Right, like he's great, but, but but maybe he's just like kind of a, like one of the angels, or or even a really great angel. Maybe that's how he did the things that he did. Right, they're facing persecution from Nero, and so one of the things might be like you know we hey you know you don't have to outright deny him. You can just say that maybe you know maybe he's just got some some great powers in that. And the reality is this, is that for them, it may have been a great out to kind of consider or think about, oh yeah, like I don't have to deny Jesus. I can just kind of, you know, this is sort of a more accepted way to do that. And what the author is saying is, no, no, 
Jesus is even more superior. He's not just like another angel or not an angel. He is over and above, way more superior, better than uh, the angels. And so he unpacks this, and that's what we're going to go with it um, today. And so um, for us, let's just kind of start here. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first thing that we're going to see is that angels are great, okay? So the, the point of the passage is not to like diminish or put down the power, the blessing that angels are, but rather to elevate Christ above the angels and show how he is above. But angels are great. Like we're going to uh, be reminded of that. And um, so he's kind of comparing. He says, you're much superior to the angels. Now for us, again, maybe we just need a little bit of a reminder. So if I could, I'm just going to kind of summarize for us. This isn't right out of the passage. I want to summarize all of what scripture teaches us about angels. So we have kind of just a a better picture of what we're talking about here in comparison. Uh, Angels uh, were mentioned in scripture over a hundred times in the Old Testament and 160 times in the New Testament. And as they're mentioned, we, we, we see several things about them um, in their uh, kind of teaching of them. The first is this, is that their uh, angels are created, okay? Uh, they didn't just kind of like come to be or they didn't always exist. They have a start, uh, a start date, like God created them. And so they're created beings and they don't procreate like men and women. Uh, he created the angels as, as, as they are. And when he created them, he created them as spirit beings, and so they're, they're different than us. They don't have physical bodies in the same way that you or I do. So because of that, oftentimes angels as created beings are invisible. We don't uh, often see them. And, uh, but at times, uh, they're made visible. We have places in scripture where we see that. There's this story in Numbers 22 when Balaam was walking with his donkey along the road. If you remember that, um, the donkey stopped and he's like, why are you stopping? And he got like really upset with this donkey. And then all of a sudden, Balaam's eyes were opened and there was an angel like on the road. And he's like, oh, that's why. Like, so the, so the, the, the donkey saw uh, the angel before Balaam was, but his eyes were open and he was able to see this kind of you know, ominous being there on the um, road. Another time, Elisha's servant um, was protected by chariots of fire, and it says that his eyes were opened and able to see these chariots around him. When angels are seen, they often have kind of a human-like appearance. Sometimes it's so much human-like that it's mistaken for men, right? There's times when they, they, they start to address them or talk to them as if they're just another person, um, even today, uh, if you've heard some in stories of like encounters with, um, you know, people are like, man, I think this was an angel. Like, you know, oftentimes it like looks like maybe a person, but, um, but there's uh, kind of that difference there. But, but many times it wasn't like, they didn't appear like, uh, um, like men, but they appeared with shining light. We see that in Matthew 18, Luke 2. And oftentimes there were fabulous winged creatures. Like it talks about the seraphim and the cherubim, right? We've talked about that. And so one thing that I think is just helpful as we think about what do angels look like, I know certainly what they don't look like is kind of the chubby, winged, like kind of innocent little babies, you know, that like, I don't know where that came from. I'd love to study that sometime, just kind of see where that was traced from. But, but that's not the picture that we have throughout scripture, right? Like if you saw one of those little guys appear and you're like, hey, little guy, like, you know, hey, what's going on? You know, like, I mean, there was just a very different sort of, you know, interaction that's happening. Most of the time when somebody sees an angel, they fall flat on their face and they are terrified, right? Like they can't speak. They are um, shaking. And, and what's the first thing? So many times, what's the first thing that angels will say as they appear? They say, fear not, 
right? They're like, don't be afraid. They're terrifying. And so I think we need to have a very different kind of picture of angels as we think about uh, them. Um, we see in scripture uh, that, that there are many of them. Um, we don't know how many, but it talks about multitudes. It talks about thousands and thousands or tens of thousands. So I think that people outnumber angels. You don't get the sense that there's more angels than, than people, but we don't really get a count. There's not this kind of, you know, uh, ledger of how many angels there are. We just know that there's a lot and there's enough to do all that God is trying to do in and through them. Um, we see that the angels are intelligent, that they know some things. Like they often bring a message or a word to people. But one thing that's, I think, helpful to think about is that angels are not omniscient. Omniscient means that, you know, all knowing. They're not like God in this way. God knows and sees all things. He sees all things that have happened, will happen, could happen. He knows everything. Angels are not this way. They are revealed. They're getting revealed information. And so it says, for example, that angels, even angels don't know the day that the uh, Lord is going to return. Right? Could you imagine being the angel Gabriel and you're kind of given this, this mission? Hey, I want you to, you know that teenage girl, Mary? You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. So I want you to go down to her and I want you to deliver a message. You got a pen and paper? Write this down. And like he gives him the message and like imagine Gabriel, he's kind of getting this and he's like, wait, what's happening? Like, like maybe we like talked about this in our last review meeting, but I, I did not pick up. So Jesus is going down like, Okay, you know, like, so there was like this information that's being revealed to angels and they're kind of, you know, learning as well. And so we see that they are intelligent, but not omniscient. Uh, fourthly, that we do see that they are powerful. Scripture talks about great power that they have. Second Kings 19 records that um, uh, they took out an entire, angels took out an entire army, that they slayed this entire army. Um, Acts 12 talks about delivering captives, right? So we see the power that angels have. They have the ability to um, influence and impact and affect things. They're, 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 they're very powerful. Um, we see next that they're, they're holy. Um, being in the presence of God and serving in the way that they are, they are moral beings and they are um, they're, uh, uh, kind of set apart in that way. But they also have uh, choice. They have decision-making. Um, we, we talk often, like the enemy, Satan, um, was an angel. Uh, scripture records for us that it, his name was Lucifer, and he, he, he was in heaven with the other angelic beings, and that he sought himself or put himself above God and tried to take the place. And so, and so there was this, um, this kind of power struggle there, and, and so God cast him out, and, and other angels followed. And so they were holy beings, but they were still given a choice. And so we see that there's fallen angels now. That's what uh, Satan and his followers are, that they're demonic. And so all these things that we're saying about angels are also true of Satan. I think sometimes we think that Satan is everywhere. He's not. He's not, he's not everywhere at all places. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He's not all powerful. He's not like, he's a fallen angel. He's a created being. A difference between fallen angels and us is that we don't see the redemption coming for angels. They had their chance. And so you see that there's final judgment coming. That's already been said. No, at no point does it say that they're going to be redeemed. But angels that are in the presence of God, serving God, that they are, um, that they are uh, set apart, that they're, they're holy, and that they are um, living morally and choosing to um, live, serve, honor God in this way. And lastly, that brings us to a kind of their, their function, that they are servants. Like if you were to, what do angels do? They serve. 
Oftentimes, they serve by being message bearers. The Hebrew word for angel, malak, and the Greek word angelos both mean messenger. So they're messengers for God. But we see several specific functions. There's actually, you know, we can maybe divide it other ways, but there's kind of four functions where they serve. They serve by um, worshiping and praising God. So there's this continuous worship and praise. Psalm 38, 7, Psalm 103, 20, Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, Revelation 4, 8, Revelation 5, 9 through 12. There's all these places where you see the angels pouring out praise, worshiping, calling out. Oftentimes their song is pretty repetitive. It's holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? Over and over and over again, they're worshiping God and praising him. So their, their primary, most uh, talked about function, like what they do is they continuously praise and worship God. Secondly, they communicate God's message to man. So they assist. We see in Acts 7, it actually says that, that the angels assisted in bringing the law to Moses, brought the law to man. Um, uh, that we just you know, looked at Daniel together as a church. There were several pictures where the, the angel, Daniel's going, he's like, hey, can you help unpack kind of what I'm seeing here, right? Can you translate this for me a little bit, right? And the angel is, is kind of unpacking this. John, same thing, is the angels are coming and explaining things to John. So they're communicating God's message to man. And then you think of, I already mentioned Gabriel, but he, he brought the message of Jesus's birth to Mary. He brought the, the message of, of John the Baptist, his birth coming, right? He came and announced it and said, hey, these births are coming. These, these, um, God is working in this way. He brought this message to men. Thirdly, they are ministers to believers. We're gonna see that more in our passage this morning, that they minister to believers. Let me give you this verse, Psalm 34, seven. It says that the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalm 91.11, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And so we see there's many ways that angels minister to believers. They deliver them from, from prison in Acts 5. They rejoice at the conversion of sinners. Luke 15.10 says that there's a party in heaven and the angels are throwing it every time that there's a new name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Every time that, that someone passes from death to life, that they are rejoicing. They are present within the church, 1 Corinthians 11.10. We don't often think of that, but even today, this morning, there are angels in our midst that are, are, are here and rejoicing and worshiping with us. They watch the lives of believers, 1 Corinthians 4.9. They carry believers away at death, Luke 16. All these things that they're working and active in the lives of believers. You know, there's some specific ways that are spoken about. I think sometimes we tend to like have these kind of stereotypical things like, oh, my guardian angel, you know, really had my back today. Like maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe. But, but like, it, I think it's more than that, right? If we do have a guardian angel, I gave mine a run for its money like in my teenage years. Like I was just kind of like always doing risky, crazy things. Like so um, that guy was beat up or kind of, you know, would have, uh, yeah, he, he, he had his work cut out for, uh, for him in that. I don't think it's as much that though. It's not like we all have this personal angel that's kind of following following us wrong. That's like, that's, that's a wonderful life, okay? Like that's, that's kind of what, what, where we get that. That's not scripture so much, but we do see specific ways that, that angels are ministering to believers. Fourthly, we see this, that they are agents in God's earthly judgment and second coming. 
So there's lots of roles that angels have. They call the elect with loud trumpets. They separate the wheat from the chaff. They open seals, blow trumpets, pour out the bowls of wrath, execute judgment against Satan and the demons. So they're present and they're working in those final days. And so here's the thing. When we stand back and sort of look at this list that they are created, there's many of them. They're intelligent, powerful, holy servants in all the ways that they serve. Like some of us, we're like, man, angels are great. And here's the truth. They are. They really are. God uses them, and they are a blessing uh, to us. But here's the thing that, that they, they were in danger of, the church was in danger of. It was tempting to say that Jesus was just an angel, right? Because it didn't require denial of Jesus, just kind of a different expression of his greatness. And the reality is this, is that when we talk about Jesus alone, right, the only way, to the Father, the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. When we talk about the supremacy of Christ, that means that he is above all other gods, all other beliefs, all other religions, all other things. That's that gonna bring tension to our everyday lives. And I think we are faced with the same thing even today. We, we are tempted to question, is Jesus really, is it only Jesus? Is Jesus truly above all other things? Because again, I think our world is very comfortable. Like our culture is very comfortable with us saying that Jesus had some good things to say. He was a kind man and he's even an example to be followed. Right? But the second we move to and say, no, 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 he's more than that. He's the son of God. He's the king of the universe and he is worthy of our worship. And he's the only way by which we are saved. All of a sudden now, those are fighting words, right? Like now we've drawn a line in the sand. And what the author is saying is, yes, this, draw, this line needs to be drawn because in this instance, it was angels. Here, it might be something else. And I think we have to be very careful that we don't take something else and elevate it above the position of Jesus. And here's some other things. I mean, you might not think about this, but I was trying to think, of like, what do we do? Because again, I don't think any of you were walking in here and being like, man, angels, I love angels, right? Like, I'm all about angels. But there's some things I think we get all excited about. Let me give you one. I, I think sometimes we get really ramped up and excited about church. We get excited about the church community. I'll be honest, like, I love this church. God's doing some special things here at City on a Hill. Some of us are really ramped up. We're excited about this church. But here's the thing is that if we ever move to the place that we're more excited about our church or our community or what God's doing here, more than we're excited about Jesus, the shepherd, the pastor, the one who's over our church, well, then we've missed it, right? Like we are just as much in danger. I think we can do the same thing with theology. We can get all excited about learning and knowing and, and kind of reading books or hearing sermons or hear, listening to podcasts, doing all this stuff, trying to get knowledge. But, but to what end? Like, are we missing Jesus in all of it? I think it's so easy for us to, to do that just with education in general. Like, it's, oh, it's just good to know things and kind of have, but like all of a sudden is like, are things crowding out Jesus? And so what, what this passage is screaming at us this morning, it's trying to say, like, kind of get our attention, like, hey, hey, look at Jesus and understand just how great he is. He is even superior to the angels. He's better than your church, better than your community, better than your understanding, better than your, 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 your education or your whatever it might be. Jesus is better. And so would we kind of, as we walk through this, not just think about angels, but let's also think about some of the other ways maybe that we tend to crowd out or sort of push away um, the greatness of, of Jesus in this. He says that Jesus is the, 
is superior, much superior to the angels. And then to do that, what the author does next is, is kind of references seven Old Testament quotations, like seven passages from the Old Testament are referenced here. And what I want to do, there's probably different ways we could kind of divide this up, but I just want to give it to us in kind of two big buckets of what, what's happening here. So Jesus is better than the angels. How is he better? Here's the first way. Jesus has greater honor. Jesus has greater honor. He is called son and he's worthy of worship. Things that are not true of the angels. This is the comparison that we get. Look at verse four. Having become as much superior to the angels as the, as the name as he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So he has a more excellent name. What is that name? Verse five, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have been begotten you. That is the name. Uh, name here is, is kind of more like title, right? Like we often, we use names. Some of you, you know, parents, you spend a long time kind of picking up your name. Maybe your, your name, somebody gave you a name at some point, right? And some of you love your name. Some of you hate your name. Some of your name has significance. Others, it just kind of was the trendy name at the time, um, came out of a baby book, whatever, like saw it on a, you know, back of a car on the way to the hospital, something. Like, I don't know where, where your name came from, but names mean something, especially in, in this day. And, and, and the name, son, is a name, it's a title that was only given to one ever. Like we're called sons of God, angels are called sons of God, but, but the only one who was the son, my son, is a name that was given to Jesus in Jesus alone. And so he has this greater honor than any other angel. That's what he's saying there in verse five. He says, for to which of the angels did God ever say, and then he quotes, this is Psalm 2-7. You are my son, today I have uh, begotten you. Right, this is, um, uh, this is uh, from uh, a, a psalm that wasn't often thought of as a messianic psalm, but he's saying, like, this is about Jesus. You're my son, today I have begotten you. It's one of the interesting things, kind of a side note for us, is that we understand that all of scripture is pointing to Jesus. Right, we talked about this even last week in our service, right? That Jesus, as he was with his followers, he, he kind of opened scripture and he showed that all of the passages, all of the prophecy points to who Jesus is. So here's a psalm talking about this and they're applying it to Jesus and saying, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That begotten is, is not so much born, but, but the, to be enthroned, to be bestowed upon this great honor. And so in becoming, in in, in, in resurrecting and this exaltation and enthronement, he was begotten and now he has the title of son. And again, it's not so much that this title was given for the first time ever, but he, he earned it. It was like bestowed upon him in this way. That's what he's saying here. Which of the angels did God ever say this? The answer is none. He never said this about any angels, but he said it about Jesus. Or again, which of the angels did God ever say, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. This is a quote from uh, 2 Samuel 7.14. This actually comes out of a well-known messianic passage. Um, I think oftentimes we, we um, as you think about different covenants that were made in scriptures, we think about the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant made with Abraham. This comes out of the Davidic covenant. This was the covenant that was restored or returned to David. And so in this passage, God is renewing his covenant with David. And this is kind of at the end of it. And he says, I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. Originally, this was referring to David's son. This was referring to Solomon. But he says, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. So what you see that Solomon failed to do, 
right? Solomon was entrusted to build the temple and to lead God's people to worship. He didn't do it well. And so what you see is that Jesus perfectly was the son that ultimately God was referring to here. He was the son of David that ultimately had the position of being on the throne and this greater son is coming. So which of the angels did he say, I will be to him a father and he shall be like to me a son? No, none of them. This was about Jesus. That's why at Luke 1, 32 through 33, we um, often uh, hear this and think about this, uh, um, this verse at, um, at Christmas time. But this is what the angels said, right? They said, the, he will be great and he will be called son of the most high. See it? And the Lord God will give to him the thrones of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. That is how there was this, this eternal throne for David is that Jesus was a descendant and he was on the throne as the son of God. And so he's worthy of worship. That's where he goes next. Verse six, and again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. This comes from um, uh, Deuteronomy 32, uh, 43, um, uh, kind of referencing um, from the Greek Septuagint here. But this is a phrase that, that's calling on the angels of God to worship him. And here's the distinction. Like, I don't want us to get all bogged down with these quotations and trying to get all the context in that. What you have to understand is that at no point are angels worshiped. Angels worship God. Angels worship Jesus. That's what we see here. And so he says, let all of God's angels worship him. Let me give you a picture of what it looks like. Revelation 5, 11 through 13. This is John's revelation or picture of prophecy that he was given. He says, he looked and he heard the sound around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of what? Many angels, numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Who's the lamb who was slain? That's Jesus, right? They're worshiping Jesus to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and, every, and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So here's these references, these first three passages. Why is the author pointing this? He's saying, listen, Jesus is better than angels because he is worthy of the honor. He is more honor. He's the son and he's worthy of worship. And for all of eternity, all of creation is going to be calling out in worship to Jesus. Right? That's what we see. The angels are calling out to worship. So angels aren't worshiped. They worship Jesus. Here's the second thing. Here's the, big, the second bucket for the next four. It's this, is that Jesus is greater than angels. How? Because he has greater position. His position is seen in this, that he's the king, that he rules, and it's for eternity. He's the king that rules for eternity. Notice um, verse seven, he says, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. That's a reference to Psalm 104.4. Basically, he's saying the angels do the bidding of the Lord. In this case, they are blowing or bringing or whatever, becoming wind. And they're also ministers of a flame of fire. They're bringing fire. So these two expressions, the way that they're serving the Lord here is by through wind and fire. Again, the point is this, that the angels are doing the bidding of the Lord. The Lord is sending them as wind and fire, but he's sending them. They're his servants. That's not how, what he does with Jesus. 
But of the son, notice verse uh, eight, but of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever. This is about Jesus. The scepter of unbrightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is Psalm 45, um, verses six and seven. And notice the king language that's here. It says throne, right? Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. Therefore, your God, God, your God, has anointed you. Throne, scepter, anointing. This is all king language. This is about Jesus. He has been enthroned above. And it's an eternal enthronement. It lasts forever. That's what verse 10 says. It says, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. This is from Psalm 102, 25, and 27. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. I love this comparison. It's such a good comparison. It's timely, right? Like we, we can still kind of picture this today. Um, all of you are, are wearing clothes this morning, thank goodness, right? And, and all of you hopefully have more clothes at home, even if not many, like you have some clothes at home, like you're not probably wearing the only thing that you have this morning. Um, and, and, and there's probably something else, right? And my guess is, is that there's been other clothes that you've worn in your lifetime. Um, we, uh, when we're children, right, we grow through clothes. Oh my goodness, some of the years I'm like, I feel like we just buy things and like we get home from the store and it already doesn't fit, right? It's like, would you stop growing? Like just, just slow down for a second, right? Like we have bins and bins with having four girls. That was one of the best things is we have so many clothes that we're just kind of like, you know, on repeat. Poor Martha, she's like getting, they're like, you know, I think this is, yeah, we got another kid in this, right? Like we can, by the time it gets to her, it's been well, well, well worn. Um, but here's the thing is that you and I, we go through clothes, uh, as we get bigger, right, we, we need more clothes. Some of us, we were growing when we were a kid, and we had to, like, we out, outgrew clothes, had new clothes. Some of us are still growing, right? We're outgrowing clothes. I have some clothes, and maybe you do too, just kind of moment of honesty. I have a little corner in my closet where it's, like, you know, clothes that I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful to get back into again. Anyone else, right? You don't want to admit it, but you do. And I'm like, ah, I don't want to get rid of those just yet. Like, I'm hopeful, I, you know. And, and then there comes that time when you're like, you know what, that ship sailed. Like, I'm not getting back in those again. Like, I just need to, I need to give those away or, or bless those or, or just, you know, whatever. Other times, though, we, we, we go through clothes because we just, we wear it a lot, right? Like, maybe you got that T-shirt. And, and when you're like, maybe this is more of a guy thing, I don't know, at home, like, you got that T-shirt and you put that thing on and you're like, oh, yeah, it's like, day off, you know, comfy day or whatever, right? And then every once in a while, you kind of wear that thing to the point where it just kind of like, after a while, it just kind of looks tired. Like it's like it's worn out. It just doesn't hug you the way that it used to. It's just kind of like, you know, just kind of looks, looks old. And then, then somebody loving, um, you know, in, in my life, it's my wife. Maybe you have a friend or somebody, but they say, you know what? I think, I think it's time to retire that one, right? You gotta like, just let that one go. You know, you've, you've worn that one enough. And um, I've definitely had some shirts that just like, they just kind of like gave out. You know, they were just sort of like done. See, here's the thing. We go through clothes. We have clothes that we, like our, our, our closets, you know, they, they, they come and go. Like we have clothes that we, we've, wore, we've worn, outgrown, all of that. And in the same way, it's still us, right? But the clothes have come and gone. The comparison, did you miss it? The comparison is this is how God is with the, the very creation, it says he, he laid that foundation. The heavens are the workers of his hands, but they will perish. It means that the heavens are gonna pass away, that they're gonna kind of wear out and grow old, but God will remain. Jesus is still on the throne. They're gonna wear out like a garment. He's gonna roll them out and they'll be changed, but he's the same. 
and the years have no end. So in the same way that you and I go through garments, the, the universe, I mean, he's just watching the universe age and he is still the same. And he sees it as garments that he's wearing in, in that. He's enthroned for eternity. And then look at verse 13. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Again, that position of kingly authority. This is Psalm 110.1, which says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. This is the ruling, rulership of Jesus boldly shown here. There was a custom that when a king defeated um, uh, another, you know, when a king was defeated, he would come to the conqueror and he would lay prostrate at his feet and he would kiss the conqueror's feet. And then the conqueror, the victor, would take his feet and put them on, on his neck, the captive's neck, and, and, and as, a, as a sort of footstool, as this place of like, humility and kind of overcoming there. And that's what he's saying is that this is what Jesus is going to do, that he's, he's going to make the enemies a footstool for his feet at the right hand of the Father. Do you know that this passage right here, Psalm 110.1, is the most quoted Old Testament passage than any other passage in the New Testament? 14 times this, this, this verse in particular is quoted in the New Testament. Jesus himself quoted Psalm 110.1, applied it to himself at his trial in Mark 12.36. And so the question is asked is to which of the angels has this ever been said? Right? Like, to which of the angels is God saying, hey, come sit at my, 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 my right hand and, and use the enemies as your footstool? The answer is none. No, no angels. Right? He's not saying that to any of his angels. He's saying it to Jesus. Jesus is the one who has the rightful place of rulership at the right hand of the Father. He seats on the throne for all of eternity, enemies as a footstool, and there is no end to his rule. In contrast, the job of the angels is to serve the king. Verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are there sent or for who are to inherit salvation? And so what we see is that the angels are servants sent out by God to serve those who are believers. The church they're sent by God. And so they're sent by the king. They're servants of the king. And it's this amazing picture that we have. And so again, just to kind of bring it all together, what we see here is that angels are great. They do some great things, but, but the point is that Jesus is even better. He's greater because of his honor. He's the son and worthy of worship. He's his position. He's on the throne and he's reigning eternally. And so we, we worship Jesus, not angels, but let's not miss how great angels are, that they're ministering on behalf of the king and serving for the sake of those who inherit salvation. I just want to share a couple of stories of the way that this, we see this work out. There's one of the most famous missionary stories told um, is of the legendary John Patton and, uh, in the New Hebrides. And um, it's recorded, the story's recorded several places. One place I found it was Billy Graham's book, Angels. And he tells this story. He says, on a dark night, about 100 years ago, a Scottish missionary couple found themselves surrounded by cannibals intent on taking their lives. The terror-filled night, uh, they, they fell to their knees and they prayed that God would protect them. Intermittent with their prayers, the missionaries heard the cries of the savages and expected them to come through the door at any moment. 
But as the sun began to rise, to their astonishment, they found that the natives were retreating into the forest. The couple's heart soared to God. It was a day of rejoicing. They had been protected. The missionaries bravely continued their work, and about a year later, the chieftain was converted. And so as the missionary spoke with the chief, they recalled to him, they remembered the horror of that night, kind of recounting to him, hey, you guys really like scared us here. You know, and he asked the chieftain why he and his men had not killed them that night. And the chief replied, he says, who were all those men who were with you? The missionary answered, why? There were no men with us. It was just my wife and myself. And the chieftain began to argue with him, saying, there were hundreds of tall men in shining garments with drawn swords circling your house, so we could not attack you. There are dozens and dozens of stories like that, of people asking God for help and God sending his angels to protect and to serve. Recently, I was talking with a friend of mine and heard this story. They moved into this home that had a history. I guess the people before had been engaged in some level of witchcraft and, and, um, and their son, they prayed over the home and you know, trusted that God is bigger, Jesus is bigger, right? We don't need to be scared of this. And so they got the home and kind of moved in. And, and the son, um, I guess, was in the room where they kind of did some more kind of asking around and, and found out that, that that was kind of like where some of that stuff had, had occurred. And the son had these visions, um, started having these visions and dreams. He's like, would wake up with nightmares of this kind of demonic being that he saw, the same thing over and over again. This, this kind of demonic image that was like flooding his dreams every single night and he couldn't sleep. He'd wake up screaming. Parents would rush in, kind of all that. And so they were so sick of it. They're like, we gotta, we gotta do something. So they, they called the church together, called some of the leaders together. They prayed over him, prayed over the room. And then that very next night, there was no screams. And my friend went into the room and he checked on his son and, and asked him, hey, how's it going, buddy? Are you okay? And he says, there's these men in here. He's like, show, show me to them. Where, where are they? He says, there's one there, and there's one there, and there's one there, and there's one there. And they're bright, and they're wearing white, and they're keeping that bad guy away. And there's this picture all of a sudden that, that there was angels there in the presence that he was able to see, and, and, and it was given. I mean, my friend couldn't see him, but his son certainly could, and he knew that God was bigger, and he was over that. And here's the thing, we love hearing stories like that, right? Like I hear that and my heart soars. It's like, man, I love that. Angels are great. They're ministering for us. God is sending them. But here's the thing, we would be mistaken if we hear those kind of stories and we're like, man, I'm so excited about angels. Let's worship the God who sent them. How great is our King Jesus? He's the one seated on the throne. And so as those prayers are going up from that missionary couple, he's like, calling on the army and sending them down there, right? The prayers for this little boy, he's like, send some of my, they, you need to go and get to work there. How great is Jesus over this? He is so superior to the angels. They are coming and doing his bidding. He is on the throne. And so we worship, we sing to, we praise our great Jesus. Let's pray. God, we give you praise and thanks for who you are. Jesus, you are above all things. God, I recognize sometimes we get caught up in secondary things. God, we take good things and make them God. We take good things and make them ultimate things. 
Lord, I pray that we would have a right perspective of the blessings which you have given. God, we're so thankful that you have ministers that we call angels, Lord, doing your work on our behalf. But God, we do not worship them, we worship you. Jesus, they are here, they are among us, they are serving you. But Lord, how much more so are you here with us? God, it says that you have indwelled in the heart and life of believers. And so Jesus, we recognize that you are present with us, that you are in this place. God, you are omnipotent. You are all-knowing. God, you are everywhere. And so we give you praise for who you are. Jesus, you are the name that we sing. Jesus, you are the name that we exalt. God, you are the one that we lift high. And we thank you for your care, your concern, and your love over us. Lord, we've reminded that you are present, that you are working in and through the needs, the trials, the things that we face in our life. God, you are actively working. And we give you praise for that. God, we sing to you now in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.